Bienvenue dans l'alcove. Welcome to the alcove. Aujourd'hui, on reçoit today our guest is Jonah Leslie. So I'll start uh, by reading a short bio of Jonah Leslie, and uh, and then we'll move into some quick questions to get to know him very quickly, and then we'll go through the full interview. So. Today we have the pleasure of welcoming Jonah Leslie to the Alcove. Uh, you've probably heard of or been in Jonah's creative fashion pit stop on Saint Laurent Street, Ibiki, filled with sensibly picked inspirational clothing pieces, objects, and literature to feed your fashion and design senses. Jonah Leslie's creative playground sees no frontiers. From Whitewall Studio, where Louise Le Cavalier and others have, been, have given birth to a revel of choreographies to find curious souls gathering for documentary viewings. Last one was Wim Wenders on the subject of Japanese fashion designer Yohi Yamamoto. Exclusive local designer pop-up sales or magazine launches even. As if a unique creative fashion concept store and a dance studio weren't enough, Jonah also shapes and reshapes musical experiences from cultural events at the MAC to top-of-line private parties. Through his impeccable savoir-faire, sophisticated eye, and appreciation for a rigorous production ritual, Jonah is stimulating various creative spheres and leaving his mark on the universe with a one-of-a-kind Montreal je ne sais quoi. Jonah, thank you for joining us in the alcove today. Thanks for having me. Would you say that's pretty uh, spot on? Yeah, <laughs> I guess it is. Okay, so we'll start with some quick questions. I don't want you to think about it too much. Just give me the first thing that comes to right. mind. So where's the last city or country that you visited? Uh, well, I was just in Korea last week. And on my way there and back, I stopped over on the West Coast. Uh, so on my way there, I went to Victoria because my mom and stepdad moved there and so on wanted to see them. And then on the way back, I stopped off in Vancouver City just overnight. Um, so those are the last places I've been. Oh, yeah. And in between, I went to Korea, Seoul. <laughs> <laughs> How long were you in Korea for? Two weeks. Okay. Yeah. Who do you speak to most often on the phone? On the phone? Hmm. I'm not sure, but I want to say my mom. <laughs> She wants you to say your yes. mom, probably. <laughs> uh, so when we spoke, you told me that you spend about 24, uh, 25 hours a week at the shop. So yeah, when you're when not, in Montreal, yeah. yeah, when you're not at the shop and you are in Montreal, mm -hmm. where are you? I do a lot of, of the kind of admin work and office work from home. Um, and then I have the studio, which you mentioned in the introduction, mm -hmm. that I run is also attached to my home. Uh, so studio and at home, I guess, is the other place that I would be most. Okay. What is the best thing about living and working in Montreal? Hmm, the best thing... You know, I think Montreal, given that the cost of living is still relatively lower than other cities around, um, It leaves room for a bit more of an experimental lifestyle, I guess, that would be a bit more difficult in other cities where it's a lot more expensive to live. You have to work harder and more hours to make ends meet. I think Montreal still offers a bit of like a, you can have a bit more of a bohemian type lifestyle and less of a rat race type of uh, atmosphere. And I, I like that about Montreal, I would say. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. 
I see that, like in Detroit, for example, there's been a huge art yeah. scene, mm-hmm. but the city's not as developed anymore as mm-hmm. a city like Montreal. So it must be a little bit harder to have access to everything. Yeah, you need. and I mean Montreal for this for the smallness of the city, there are still a lot of cultural things happening. Mm-hmm. Some good, some not as good. <laughs> we were talking about that earlier, but still, given the size of the city. Yeah on an international scale. There's a lot of stuff going on in Montreal culturally for the size of the city, which I think is pretty good. Uh, What was your first thought when you woke up this morning? Oof, first thought when I... Well, I have a friend sleeping on my couch, and I was like, is he home? Did he leave? Is he awake? (laughs) And then he made some sounds, and I was like, oh, he's still here. (laughs) Uh, What do you never leave the house without? It can't be your phone or your keys. Ooh, never leave my home without phone keys while what's in my pockets. You know, I hope it's in my pocket right now. Money. (laughs) This little guy is often in my pocket. It's, um, it's like a herbal oil that, uh, it's kind of like a... I don't know, an inhaler, I guess. Mm-hmm. Remember I told you, I, I've spent a lot of time in Thailand. And in Thailand, they use a lot of ointments and oils and tinctures and stuff. It's just part of the culture over there. And um, they all have one of these on them at all times. It's like, um, actually, maybe I can have you guys smell it. You can pass it around and just smell it. <laughs> yeah. I can smell it from like, here. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. It smells like a spa. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> oh my God. This. In Thailand. <laughs> Actually, my friend just got back. You guys might know Sabrina Barilla, who does mm-hmm. La Moya. She lives under me. We're good friends. And she was just in Thailand. And I was like, get me 10 of those. <laughs> I'm almost depleted. So. What does it do? Uh, it just kind of, um, I guess... Centers you? Or? Yeah, it just, and also, I guess, if you're traveling and stuff, the air can be dry or bad, or... Mm. I don't really... I try not to take, like, you know, Tylenols and Advils and mm-hmm. stuff, and I prefer kind of resorting to something like that, for example. I, I don't get, like, big migraines or anything anyway, but I don't know, it just kind of resets you. It's refreshing. Mm. I like it. And I got the habit in Thailand because everybody's on this stuff. <laughs> yeah. Um, which musical artist are you listening to these days? Uh, I think I should. I mean, a lot of people always, but uh, a guy named Suzanne Kraft. It's a guy. I was just and his artist name is Suzanne Kraft <laughs> with it. a K. Um, yeah. Uh, do you mostly eat in or out? Ooh. Uh, these days in as much as possible but I've been going through a bit of a change in my dietary habits in the last since like this winter um, I'm making a very conscious effort to go even further with health consciousness I guess mm-hmm. yeah uh, are you more comfortable in French or in English English Mais je peux parler français aussi. <laughs> <laughs> Who is someone that you would love to collaborate with creatively? Ooh. 
Um, Sky's the limit. Yeah, you know, I, I like, I, I, I don't know, that's a tough one. I think the people that I collaborate with already are people I'm happy collaborating with. Uh, off the top of my hat, I, I can't think of somebody that I'd like to collaborate. Suzanne Kraft. How's that? <laughs> love it. It's actually true. I'd love to collaborate with that guy. I like his music. So, yeah. Uh, a shop other than yours that you like in Montreal? Oh, um, I think Michel Brisson and Les Etoffes do a good job. Uh, yeah. Oh, Cahiers d'Exercice as well. Yeah. Right. Um, and then finally, you've done some work for the Mac. Is there an exhibit right now in Montreal or elsewhere that you would tell people not to miss? It's a bit tough because I have been away um, for the last few months. I haven't been in Montreal that much. But last night there was the vernissage for the new show at the DHC. And uh, she's uh, like a 70s uh, video artist. And uh, I'm very curious to see her work. Um, so I would probably recommend going there. But I, I haven't seen it yet. Cool. All right. Let's get started. Okay. Um, let's start with your early life. So tell me a little bit about your upbringing. You had a bit of a different childhood than most kids, given mm -hmm. your parents' uh, backgrounds. Yeah, uh, both my parents work in contemporary dance, and then my mom's now been working in theater a lot. And uh, so, as a kid, I, you know, I grew up in studios and uh, touring a lot, and so being in places I'd never been to before, and my parents were very kind of, I guess, free and trusting because of the community of people they're in. It's normal and fine to leave your kids with people that are part of the festival or whatever, they're friends, you don't know them well, but like, it's a community of very kind, good people <laughs> for the most part. And um, so I think that was, uh, that, I, that was very different to all the kids that were around me actually. Like my parents would take me out of school for weeks at a time to go travel and stuff. and. Um, I do feel like um, that gave me a leg up in some ways. I got to see a lot of the world at a young age and was exposed to a lot of different uh, cultures and also hanging around adults a lot and kind of as an equal, not just kind of a kids separated from adults. I feel like during my upbringing, I always had friends who were like adults. And um, yeah, I think generally speaking that was uh, a bit of an alternative upbringing mm. yeah so only positive memories of that yeah absolutely yeah, for sure um, and I think you know as most entrepreneurs will say is it's not really something that you learn it's just a state of mind and when we chatted you told me about some of uh, some of the ways that you were very entrepreneurial when you were <laughs> very little um, yes. starting with fabulous candy business yes so my my parents split up when I was pretty young and I grew up in the plateau and um, my mom with my stepdad decided to move to Outremont 
and I was still going to school in the plateau at that point, but uh, I, I was finding that in the corner stores in Outremont, there was candy you couldn't find in the plateau, and so I would buy it and bring it to school and, you know, sell it to the kids <laughs> as, you know, this stuff, this rare candy that, you know, is really hard to get your hands on. And um, so, yeah, I was able to, like, pay for my own candy consumption that way. <laughs> pretty good. And then, um, I guess to fast forward the story a little bit, and then I, I got to high school, and um, again, my mom and stepdad moved out to Oka in like the middle of nowhere and put me into school in the middle of the fields, a city kid, didn't know anybody. And uh, that was a bit of an interesting experience, but again, kind of put me somewhere where I didn't know anything, how it was gonna happen, and just kind of had to make it happen. I think. Uh, looking back, that was actually probably a really good thing. But I continued with my candy business, especially because it was in a field. There's no corner stores around there, so I could really corner the market. And, um, and then I was doing trips with my dad down to the States, and uh, they had these like Costco-type places where you could buy bulk candy. So I was just like putting my savings, I don't know, my allowance. I don't even know where I got money back then. From all your candy sales, that you would right? Just... <laughs> Probably my yes, my profits. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. Um, and uh, I was doing that, and actually, I didn't tell you this yesterday, but uh, j'étais convoqué, like uh, the principal or whatever, called me in and was like, "We hear you're selling candy." <laughs> and and like, you were like, yeah. yes, "Do you want any?" <laughs> yeah, exactly. I got good stuff. <laughs> so no. Um, they asked me to stop doing that. But then anyway, <laughs> that year um, is kind of the transition between being a kid and then being a teenager. And people were not as into candy. The people were more into smoking pot. So then I was like, maybe pot is a good thing that I could buy and sell. So I convinced my parents that they should get me a pager so that they could always like know where I was at at all moments because I was like always gone. I wasn't at home very much. And they got me a pager, and I used it to... Uh, <clears throat> let them know where you were. Let, yes, exactly. <laughs> let them know at all times where I was. And also, other friends could locate me pretty easily <laughs> that way, too. <laughs> um, yeah, that was my first foray into uh, you know, supply and demand, really. It's a very interesting lesson yeah, to learn. Yeah. <laughs> um, so yeah, thinking about you know your business and how you got started, what's the story? How did you transition from being a pot dealer <laughs> to uh, launching this really creative business? Okay, well, something I should say is that when I saw my 18th birthday coming closer, I was like, okay, laws become a bit different when you're an adult in regards to this stuff, so I'm definitely stopping cold turkey because I get away maybe with a tap on the hand if something ever happened, but not when you're an adult. It sticks with you. At least that was what I thought I knew at the time. And then I started college, and I wasn't even really smoking pot at that point in time in college and stuff. Not that much, anyway. And um, uh, So there was a gap between. It wasn't from one right into the <laughs> other. Uh, so, but how did I start my business? Mm -hmm. Is that maybe where I should go? Okay. Um, well, uh, I wanted. I went to um, Dawson College after after high school with the intent on just kind of prolonging my studies. I took an arts and culture 
pre-university program at the time, which was really uh, good because there was a lot of different course options. Now they kind of narrowed it down. And anyway, back then you can choose between, you know, film, religion, uh, philosophy, uh, graphic design, photography. Like it was super open. Um, And uh, so went to school there, completed the program. And at that point in time, I was dancing a lot on the side. Um, And then I injured my knee really badly. I tore my meniscus in my knee. Um, Before that incident, my plan was I thought I was going to become a professional dancer. I was like really training a lot and that's kind of what I was putting a lot of time and energy into. What kind of dance was it? Um, I I had a background in street dance, um, but then also I grew up in contemporary dance. Mm -hmm. So, and it's funny because both worlds now are merging a bit more, but for the longest time they're very separated one didn't really know about the other and so I kind of had one foot in both and um, so yeah I was kind of crisscrossing between styles that I'd learned on both sides and trying to also come up with my own kind of vocabulary which is something I try to do in all the mediums that I touch on Um, anyway so the dancing thing uh, was thrown out the window because the doctors were like forget it your knee is busted you're not going to be a dancer I was a bit devastated at first, but in retrospect, I'm happy that that happened. Um, And so I finished school and decided to take a trip to South America, decided to take a trip down to Brazil and to go from there for about four months. And I had my backpack, I was on my own. I didn't know anybody, didn't, you know, have any plan, didn't really look into stuff or buy a lonely planet or anything. I I just kind of had a landing spot and that was it. And um, during my trip there, I had a bit of a romantic thing with a girl there. And of course, I had to leave and come home at one point. But I said, listen, I'll save up and I'll come back next year during the winter. So year passed and, you know, we didn't have Facebook and stuff back then. So it was like emails here and there. But year passed and I was like hey, what's going on? You know, like I saved my money. I'm ready to come back to Brazil. Like what's, what's up? And she was like, well, I'm kind of seeing somebody, but you know, come, it'd be nice to see you. And I was like, okay. Uh, Yeah, no, I'm not going to go to Brazil, I guess. So all of a sudden I had all this money and time and I figured, uh, you know, Southeast Asia seems like a good spot. Just felt like the right thing. And so again, I got a ticket to open-ended ticket to Bangkok with no plan. I had like a one phone number of a friend of a friend and yeah, no plan. So I went there and it was on that trip that I went to different markets in, in Thailand and was super inspired by, by what was going on down there. Uh, the atmosphere for young designers is great. You can start very, very small. Um, both with opening a shop, you don't need much. You don't even need to open a shop. You can sell sell stuff on the corner of the street. You can upgrade to having a little stall in a market. You can get a bigger stall. Then you can get an actual shop if you want to get there. If you don't, you can just sell in the market forever. A lot of people do that. And also production-wise, you don't have to cut and sew large quantities per design, which is something here, if you're a designer, you can't just make like 10 of this and five of that and 20 of that piece. Um, 
it would be way too costly to do that. But in Thailand, it's normal and people do it. Um, and then from a buyer's perspective, you can um, access wholesale prices as soon as you're buying maybe three pieces or more at any given shop or stall. They give you wholesale price. It's just kind of normal to do that. It's part of their, I guess, culture. A lot of people are buying and selling. Um, and so I was like, you know, uh, super inspired by all that. And then the designs that I was seeing were really wild stuff because a lot of the 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 stuff I was buying was from students who just graduated in from design school and you know had their little shop and they're trying their stuff and it's very experimental and much more loud than stuff you'd see here and uh, so yeah I mean being I was uh, 20 21 at the time and um, I just kind of connected the dots in my head I was like you know I think I could probably sell this stuff in Montreal and at the time I was good friends with the guys that own Space FB I don't know if you get probably some of you are familiar with Space <laughs> FB so they had they had their location on Saint Laurent it was like a really successful business back then. I yeah, think I they've downgraded since. Yeah, it was everyone hot. was wearing. Yeah, super hot. So and then um, you'd go across the street and go to Fidel. Fidel was there. The Fidel shirts, I remember. And like American Apparel, the first American Apparel, like on Lower Saint Laurent, that whole zone was like a hot spot. And I was working down there a lot. And uh, so yeah, I knew the guys from Space FB. I sent them an email. I said, hey. If I bring stuff back, could I sell stuff during the street sale out front of your store? Because that's the thing in Montreal, if you start small, where do you sell stuff? I mean, nowadays with pop-up shops and the social media thing, it's a bit easier. But back then, this is like 2003, four. So um, things worked a little bit differently, obviously. And uh, anyway, I got a spot at the street sale and so I put in the money that I'd saved for my trip. I put a chunk of it into buying stock and uh, got a job so that I could extend my trip and stay there. And that's a whole other funny story. <laughs> <laughs> I was working for a guest house and my job was to get customers to come and rent rooms. How was up to me. So it meant kind of hustling on the streets of Bangkok, trying to get some customers to come rent rooms. It was interesting. Oh uh, yeah. Um, and uh, so that's kind of how I started with really, you know, not much. I did the street sale. It went really well. Decided to go right back and get stuff so that I'd replenish and have more gear for the next street sale, which is at the end of the summer. Um... And so... It really grew organically, I guess. It really grew from that. Yeah, and a few years went by of me going back and forth a few times a year and staying there in the winter. I would... I mean, I'm in Thailand. <laughs> Might as well stay for a few months while it's minus 20 here. So I would stick around and make friends. And uh, all of a sudden, I you know knew and was close friends with a lot of the people I was buying from. And so that was a really important thing that I knew that the people I was, I guess, supporting by buying from them were doing a good thing and people that I really liked. And, um, and then the people buying from me are supporting me and it just kind of created this nice little consumption chain where the money was going through hands that, of, of like good people. And I really like that. Mm. I like traveling as well. I like the whole thing. It just fit with your 
your person and your style. Yeah. So, I mean, I think right now it's all the rage to talk about curating and having, you know, a lot of people do that, especially with online shops. It's easy to have that kind of, you know, you pick very specific items that you feel will, will work for your clientele. And that's kind of what you've been doing for the last 15 years is really mm-hmm. picking specific items. Mm-hmm. How do you grow your business and move forward and evolve it without losing that kind of creativity of being really hands-on and picking the individual styles? Is it possible? Yeah, it gets, it gets harder when you get a bit bigger, I guess. Uh, I can imagine it being much more difficult for people who have, you know, more than one location. My shop is a good size, but it's just one shop. So having like three, four, yeah, I can. Yeah, I can. I still can control more or less. But for sure, I've had to delegate a little bit more. Certain, uh, I guess, certain areas of buying. For example, mm-hmm. the jewelry. I don't do that much of the jewelry buying anymore. I oversee the orders and I okay who we're buying from. And from that point forward, I let Josie, my man, my shop mm-hmm. manager, take it from there. So I can only imagine if the business was bigger, I'd have to delegate more and more and more and more. Yeah. yeah. But you're still able to delegate and keep your hand on, on the creative decisions. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, so speaking of creativity, what is the most creatively fulfilling part of your job? Is it the actual product? Is it the people you collaborate with? Where do you find you get your... There's many degrees of fulfillment, I would mm-hmm. say. Um, I, I really like... Well, one thing that I like a lot is when I um, have somebody say, you know, oh, that thing that I got from you, I ended up like... It's my favorite piece, and like knowing that somebody lived with something that they got through me um, is definitely fulfilling. Um, also, I get a lot of people who seem to be inspired by the business that I have, um, the projects that I do, um, and then uh, maybe it inspires them to do. Um, different things in their life so maybe it gives them a little push or elan which is really uh, nice and fulfilling um, when I was just in Korea an ex-staff member of mine was there and she came to a gig I had and uh, we were talking she was actually talking to a friend of mine that I introduced to her too and she was actually saying it and then turned around to me and was like oh yeah actually that's kind of why I'm here because like you were coming here a bunch and like that totally inspired me and then I was like thinking of where I could go and then I thought of Korea because of your trips and then and I was like oh so that's a really fulfilling satisfying feeling when you can uh influence yeah touch people that's a good way of putting it Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. so maybe that's the the best part probably and do you feel like you can learn to be more creative or is it just something that you have to have uh in general as a person yeah Ooh, that's i like this tough question (laughs) um can you learn to be more creative yes i would think so i think that a lot of times certain people have it in their character to be more creative other people not so much um but 
everything's changing at every second <laughs> all the time. Yeah. And so you can actively decide to turn things in another direction. And if you wholeheartedly want to do that, nothing is going to come in your way, really. And so somebody who's not super creative naturally mm -hmm. can be. I believe so, yes. <laughs> the corporate answer is... <laughs> I'm creative in my problem solving. <laughs> oh, right. People love to use that. But I think it's it's you have to it's something you can definitely work on. And I feel like all the experiences that you've had has allowed you to find new places to be creative and different ways to be creative. And so mm -hmm. it's kind Absolutely. of like a practice practice makes perfect. Mm -hmm. Um so you obviously you've traveled quite a bit. Uh do you feel like you travel more for work or because you enjoy traveling, you make it part of the work that you do? Yeah, the second. <laughs> you've, you've kind of created the life that fits with what you want to be yeah. doing and what interests you. Yeah, definitely. It's pretty amazing. Um, we talked about the fact that you have a brick and mortar store. You, know, you have that one location. You haven't decided to create an e-commerce platform. You do have a site, but you don't sell. Mm -hmm on your site. Yeah. Um, tell us a little bit about why you're making that decision and why the brick and mortar is so mm -hmm. important to you. Yeah. Um, I really like the, the hands-on aspect of being able to work with people and also um, having the, con the direct contact with the customers. It's something that I really like, something that you wouldn't really have online, obviously. Um, it also just became uh, a question of uh, time for me because I'm already spread a little thin between running the studio and the shop and then other projects that I have um, around that. Um, and then online shop is like having another shop. It's like another shop mm -hmm. altogether. So I looked at it closely and gave it some thought and was like, you know what, this is going to take up so much more of my time that I barely have enough of already, putting me into a situation where I'm just not even enjoying what I'm doing because I'm always trying to catch up and I, um, I'm squeezed for time all the time. And um, I just thought, you know, that's not really how I want to be living mm -hmm. or working. And uh, so although it doesn't really make yeah. sense for me to not have an online store, it's silly, mm -hmm. really. But I know that it would come at a certain cost that I'm just not willing to uh, yeah. like invest in, really. I, I want to put time into other things, yeah. It would compromise your flexibility, I guess. Absolutely, oh my God, yeah. And I think that also comes back to something, um, you know, we talked about stress mm -hmm, and how mm -hmm. you've, it's, everyone talks about stress now and how it's the biggest cancer yeah. and how it really doesn't, allow you to be your true self and you know you've really made some decisions to have a life that doesn't feel stressful and I think that's been a priority for you yeah, it definitely has been more and more and more and more I mean it's like we were discussing I mean I'm mean, gonna have to repeat myself maybe slightly but just that um, yeah I've, I've noticed that like there's a direct correlation between stress affecting your health and then your health affects your work <laughs> and uh, so I was just like okay I need to like reduce the amount of stress that I'm um, putting myself in 
into contact with. And uh, so, yeah, taking, making decisions like not having an online store mm-hmm. was one that is just like, okay, like I, I need to reduce as much as I can because having your own business, there's always going to be some stress attached. Yeah, absolutely. Mm-hmm. Um, but then also I've been incorporating different kind of, um, uh, I guess, exercises that can help your body and mind deal with stress as well. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's a mix of both, like not putting myself in stressful situations, but then also knowing that no matter what I do, I am in a lifestyle where there are, there are mm-hmm. stresses. I think anybody in this modern day life has stresses. I mean, sure. um, so I've, you know, taken steps to um, try and reduce that where I can, yeah. So I, I just want to touch quickly on something really stressful that did happen to you. <laughs> yes. So a few years back, your mm-hmm. store was robbed and it really mm-hmm. hit you hard financially. Mm-hmm. Yeah. What did you learn from that? How did it affect you? Yeah. Um, maybe, do people know about that story or should we? No. Should, okay. So maybe. <laughs> it's not too painful. <laughs> no, no, it's, uh, no. <laughs> um, basically what happened, it was kind of a crazy story. The, uh, the building next to me is vacant and has been for a while. And uh, people broke into that building at night and went up to the second floor, put a hole through the, f- through the wall and came in like a bank heist or something, like something you'd never imagine would happen for a clothing store. But they did it like right when we got all our fall merchandise in, and which is like the time of the year where all the most expensive, like jackets, knits, heavy denim, boots, all that stuff. So anyway, we got cleared out because I wasn't really... <laughs> My alarm system wasn't really set up as good as it could have been, I guess. I mean, I never would have imagined Mm -hmm. that something like that. I've always been a very also just trusting person that, like, I do good, so... Karma. Yeah, like, yeah, (laughs) right? No, wrong. (laughs) (laughs) um, Shit happens. So, um... So that happened, and the things that I learned, well, I, I definitely learned that um, the companies that I trusted were doing a good job, like my alarm company, my insurance company, um, uh, my insurance broker, um, people like that, uh, they, I was trusting that they were kind of doing their job properly. Turns out nobody was doing their job properly. I realized that you know the alarm system should have been much better, that the technician should have installed certain things that he didn't. So that was one mistake. My insurance broker should have told me about all these insurance policy things that I had no idea about, um, but he didn't. I mean, what an important lesson though for an entrepreneur because yeah. as a business owner, yeah. everything becomes your business. And Absolutely, yeah. you didn't study in insurance, you didn't no. study in, you know, security, whatever, but you yeah. you have to make it your priority to know. Yeah, I was a bit like naive, I guess, in thinking that everybody was doing their job properly. Mm. Uh, and also just the thing is that I, I never went into this whole project wanting to do administrative things and the more business really side of things yeah. and being on the phone with the bank and with the 
you know, looking over my insurance policy and taking the extra hour to meet with the broker to make sure that I would skip that stuff left and right because that's not my cup of tea. I just don't want to be doing that. So it was a lesson of like, okay, but that's this is a business that entails all these things and mm -hmm. you need to look at stuff properly and maybe find out about how they work a bit better. Um, so that was definitely a lesson, a tough one to learn too. And perhaps you can give that learning to everyone here if you choose to go into yeah, business. Yeah, yeah. You, you think that these big companies are, uh, you know, you're paying them to help you with this and that, but they don't always. <laughs> it's really silly. Mm. Uh, I want to end on kind of a high note. Mm -hmm. um, there are four things that are really important to you that help you keep your balance and keep you mm -hmm. happy in your work mm -hmm. and your life. And I think those are really great lessons for anyone, really. Mm -hmm. Would you be so kind as to walk us through those four things? Yeah, I mean, I, I, um, I always wanted to accomplish a lot with my life. And um, I feel like I'm doing an all right job. Uh, that's just a self-imposed thing, really. But um, if you want to have the bar really high, uh, it's really important to take super good care of yourself. Um, so that is one thing that I wanted to mention that uh, has been an important thing for myself, probably also because of the upbringing that I had coming from dancers. You know, you're very aware of your body and your health and stuff. Um, but you don't have to be a dancer. I, I haven't been training in dance for many years, um, but I still make sure that I do a you know minimum a work a minimum minimum amount sorry of um, <laughs> of exercising uh, physical exercising. I also make sure that I read enough because I feel like it's good for my brain to focus on one thing. Mm -hmm. um, I try and watch what I put in my body, so definitely um, food-wise, um, I try to be careful. But what that does also psychologically, when you take good care of yourself, it, it kind of gives you, it self-empowers you a little bit more. For sure. Um, you just become a lot more confident in your decisions. Um, so that is, I would say, uh, super important thing mm -hmm. if you want to achieve big stuff. Yeah. Um, that's kind of a starting point. Uh, another point that I wanted to mention that has been good for me, mm -hmm. I don't drink coffee, by the way, so... <laughs> that's not for me. That's not for me. <laughs> um, is... Um, to sometimes, coupled with, with what I just said, also to sometimes give a little space for things to come to you. Mm -hmm. So you can want something to happen and you know, be conscious that you want it to happen, but then give it a bit of space and sometimes it'll come your way. Mm -hmm. And sometimes even it's okay to not even know exactly what you want. And again, just give it a bit of space and something will come around. Um, and I've done that time and time again, uh, and it's worked out really, really well. Um, what else was there? Adventure. Adventure, and that's something that my mom brought up, because 
when I was in Victoria, I told her like, yeah, I'm going to do this talk. I don't really know what I'm going to talk about. So we talked about it. <laughs> and uh, and uh, one point that came up was that uh, adventure in life, that people... Uh, you get caught up in your in your mind and um, what if that and what if this and what if that and but you know it, you it's kind of corny to say these types of things people know this already I'm not Sometimes saying anything you just new have really to hear it you know yeah yeah but you know to just get out there like try try things live uh-huh. with a bit of adventure and you know you might have some interesting results come out of that. Um, and never stop learning. Oh, yeah, that's Sorry. the other point. Thank yeah. you. <laughs> uh, another one, yes, was something that I tell like people who intern with me or yeah. my staff and people like that, that um, you know, we kind of live in this grid where you study and you go to elementary school, high school, CJEP, whatever, then maybe university. And then once you leave that, you're not in this structured place where you're given things to learn about. Mm-hmm. And I see often people just kind of coast and don't really take the time to keep learning about stuff and to keep feeding their... Um, curiosity. Their, their curiosity, exactly. And it doesn't really matter what it is about. Yeah. But to renew that inspiration and to still be a sponge and absorb information and especially living in the age of information where it's like at your fingertips mm-hmm. I think even, even more so you have no excuse you know to, to go out and, and seek out what you're maybe curious about mm-hmm. well thank you very much mm-hmm. um, I know you have some exciting projects coming up so I would invite everyone to stay tuned to what mm-hmm. Jonah has in store Thanks, guys.